And now, Dungeon Guides. Hello again. Welcome back to the Dungeon Guides. We're here to uh, guide you through the turmoils and tribulations that is the TTRPG uh, table and all that good stuff. I'm one of your intrepid hosts, Zach, and to my metaphorical right is uh, the other host, if you want to introduce yourself there. I am known as Josh. Welcome to the show. Yes, the all-seen Josh. I don't see anything, but I sure can hear everything, especially (laughs) my tinnitus. It's uh, it's got a good rhythm to it, the tinnitus. (laughs) I have my own theme song going all the time. All the time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, welcome back again, dear listeners. Thank you for turning us on. That was poorly phrased. Let me retry that. (laughs) Thank you for turning this podcast back on again for another listen. (laughs) Um, We appreciate it, as always. Uh, This week... We decided to do kind of a fun little thing, and it's kind of going to be a two-parter, a two-parter episode. It's not really going to be like two-parter because they're both going to be different, but it's a similar theme. And the theme is that we don't know what we brought. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I brought a topic to the podcast table, the metaphorical table that we are sitting at. Um, and Josh has no idea what I'm going to say. You know, I could bring something interesting. It could be absolutely podcast, uh, terrible, you know, be, could be terrible for our podcast. Who knows? Well, at least and try to make it funny. he has done the same. What did you say, Josh? Well, at least try to make it funny. At least try to make it funny? We'll try to, you know, even if it's bad, either one of us, you know. You know, I don't want to put just myself on this table. You know, Josh could bring something bad as well. I don't know. That's a good you know. chance. <laughs> no, knowing Josh, like Josh, I, you know, you know, you know, you're my best. You're a good friend of mine. You're my best friend, even maybe. You know, possibly. Oh, geez. But uh, <laughs> but um, you know, sometimes you do like to take a joke and uh, definitely run it into the ground. Well, you know, if you keep the bar low enough, you know, it's just stuff always is hitting the ground, really. There's, no, really there's taken... no upside to that. <laughs> You've really taken that limbo bar and made it into like a, a nice, easy vaulting bar. But it's like we're exploring the underdark in this game. <laughs> exactly. Well, alrighty. Well, without much further ado to keep you listeners, you know, from... Uh, not hearing the good ideas we have to bring this time around. Let's get on to the actual topic of the show. Okay, Josh, you ready? You want to do a little drum roll here? Here we like, go. Just a little. And the topic is, how do you make monster fights cooler? How do you make monster fights cooler? How do you make monster fights cooler? Because I have some ideas myself. Mm-hmm. I have some ideas, but I want to get your, uh, before we get into my ideas here, I want to get your first run of the mill, 
your first hearing it, what is your first thoughts? Okay. Um, okay. So going into a monster fight, there's all, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of uh, sleuthing or discovery or sometimes <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm a real big fan of the trying to figure out what this thing is we're hunting uh, before we run into it. You know, uh, I think you know this from doing our monster hunter campaign that it's it's pretty much just that <laughs> arriving on a scene. What are, what are the clues? Uh, what are the symptoms? Uh, who's affected? When are these happening? Right. And they start to build a monster in your mind. Uh, for me, uh, making monster fights fun comes down a lot to trying to surprise the players or help the players not know exactly what it is they're going to be fighting. And especially experienced players who might have a lot of knowledge about the monster manual and things like that. If there's a, a way that I can, I, I don't necessarily reskin monsters, but I don't necessarily describe what happens uh, when, when they're emerging or when you're coming to their lair or when, the, when you first see them bursting out in, in, this, in the same way all the time. Um, I try to uh, maybe mislead the characters into thinking, oh, it's just a zombie, you know? Like, oh, I'll go up and bash the zombie. And, oh, it turns out it's a, you know, a greater ghoul or something like that. And as soon as you get up there, oh, you're paralyzed. Um, I like it. I like bringing monsters to the table that the players at the table aren't, um, intimately familiar with and, and need to discover what the monster is, weaknesses, abilities, all these kinds of things, um, in game instead of having to try to not metagame, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And I'll be honest with you. I, I do agree with you on a lot. I will say I can't kind of came about this a different way in my head as um, when I was thinking about this topic is that one of the things I wrote down when I was first thinking about this and you kind of said the exact opposite of was like um, not using metagame knowledge. And for me, there's like, obviously, there's a time and a place for metagame knowledge. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say metagaming is always a good thing. But I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's always a bad thing. Because I think it can be used in a fun way, which is when it makes sense that your player would know this. Oh, absolutely. So, in that sense, what I mean is, like, Allowing for players to use metagame knowledge when it makes sense and when they should be able to know this stuff. In an example, let's say you have your party facing off against a troll. I feel like this point in both D&D and just in the tabletop community, you kind of know what you're getting when you get a troll. You're getting something that is very tanky able to soak up a lot of damage and heal from it but it has two major weaknesses and it's that it is very very adverse to fire and very very adverse to acid both of those things will absolutely you know stop it in its tracks and what i like about that is that trolls i feel like are so popular like i i would maybe not put them up as like one of the most popular monsters in 
tabletop gaming, but I would say that they are well, well known. And therefore, I think in a D&D world or a tabletop world that you're playing in, most people are going to know about trolls' weaknesses in some way, either because they've done studies because they're a wizard, or maybe because they have heard it through uh, fairy tales or nursery rhymes of like, when the troll comes a-knockin', you know, make sure you got a <laughs> stick of fire yeah, <laughs> and make, a glass yeah. and a acid. For sure you got the fire and the char and a rockin'. You, you bring up an excellent point, and you bring up probably the most iconic example of this very topic. Because I, I don't know how many times you, you brought up the troll. I'm like, oh, yeah. How many times have we encountered this scenario where experienced players and everything, right? You know, like, oh, you see this thing. It's long, gangly limbs. It's greenish mottled skin and, you know, big uh, bulbous features. And uh, it looks, it, you, you, you've got a troll in front of you, you know. And then the question will be like, okay, well, you know, what, what does my character know about trolls? Are they common in this world? You know, and almost all the time, something with a troll is like, oh, yeah, you, you understand trolls or maybe you make you have people make a knowledge check. Um, but the DC for something like a troll or some kind of common enemy that, like you said, are, are spoken of in tales and the bards sing about uh, warriors defeating these things and how they defeated them and all this kind of stuff. So that absolutely is a part of the, the culture and lore of the society. And, you know, if it was to come down to like, you, you see a monster and I want to try to identify the monster and it's a troll and, and I'm like, okay, we'll make a, make a nature check. Uh, and, and I probably in my mind set the DC at five, <laughs> you know, like if, if you're, don't have a very high intelligence and you roll a one, okay, maybe you've heard of trolls and stuff, but you, you, you don't, you've, you've not heard how to defeat them, but the odds are somebody in the party has, and, and things like that usually are like, okay, yeah, everybody's heard of trolls. You know that you got to use fire acid uh, in order to make sure they're dead, right? Because that's exactly. that, that's a key because there are going to be things that are ubiquitous and monsters that are fairly common. And, and, and you're right that some of our meta knowledge is knowledge that the characters have. And as a DM, you need to also be able to step in and provide that to players who may not have that knowledge. You know, oh, your character knows that trolls, you got to burn trolls, otherwise they're going to regenerate all the way. Like to a new player. New player doesn't know that. New player doesn't have that meta knowledge. But their character does. And the character lives in a world where trolls are known, right? So it's right. it's definitely, you want to keep that balance, right? Because, um, well, and even even still, like there, there was an encounter where a, a beholder, the party encounters a beholder. They had never heard of one. Uh, but as players, they certainly had heard of them, you know. And then when you're describing this this floating orb with a giant eye and a toothy maw and all these tentacles with the eyes at the end of them, you know, the players start gasping and stuff, you know, because <laughs> it, it it adds uh, tension and 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 drama because they know exactly what you're facing, and then you you know, then you see him like going, okay, well, uh, does my guy know what these things are? You know, make a check. And like, you have no idea. <laughs> you know that that could be fun it's a fun opportunity to uh to play with that kind of stuff because you've you've you know as a player there's excitement in knowing oh my god uh it's a roper i know this is a roper and it's gonna grab me and try to swallow me 
but my character doesn't know it's a roper, so I'm just going to stand there and fight it. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean, to kind of continue off that kind of I, I, I like idea that I was speaking of about weaknesses, I, I you kind of talked about it in your own spiel that you were making at the beginning, is uh, allowing players to find weaknesses. I think what can make monster fights really interesting is if you give your monsters uh even if they don't normally have weaknesses giving them a weakness that your players can utilize against um but then giving your monsters a little bit of a push up just making them a little tougher in some way so that way there is that kind of um thing of like this is going to be a hard fight but if you guys can figure out the weakness, right. like you're going to have it in the bag. Because that's the thing about, I think, a lot of what makes monsters so compelling is that they're very scary. You got your werewolves. You got your vampires, your Draculas. You got, you know, all these scary, scary things. But what do they all have in common? It's that they have one or multiple for vampires' sakes. But... That one weakness that is just debilitating, and that if you are able to get used, you can get the upper hand on these, you know, abominations from the night. Absolutely, right? Um, because I'm also a fan of kind of going uh, above the CR, recommended CR, in terms of like, okay, maybe I shouldn't uh, put the CR 7 against my party of level 5s. But I think it's going to be an interesting fight. It's going to be a good fight. Maybe action economy is still on the player's side, you know, the PC party side. So that, that's always an advantage. But the, the terrain or the monster itself or some kind of situation can allow the players to, to gain an edge or, or even taking it back to... Um, if we take it back to a point where you're just talking about um, shock and awe, uh, there's a lot of a lot of times where okay, you see some some wolves coming at the party. You're surrounded by a pack of five wolves. They're hungry and and mean to do you do you harm. And the spellcaster casts uh, a fire spell or a thaumaturgy or you know a flaming sphere or or some sort of elemental effect. The wolves might freak out and run, <laughs> you know, that bear over there, when you shoot it with fire, might decide that, oh, no, uh, that's not, this is not my lunch. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, there, uh, there's morale breaking things that could happen that even though an opponent, if they would fight to the death, they would destroy you. But most things are not going to fight to the death. And there's a way to demoralize somebody or or to take advantage of a weakness that Maybe they didn't even realize or didn't know that other people knew about. And, you know, that's the classic, you know, BBEG getting getting the walloped on and then uh, running away because they realized, oh, my God, no, I don't have the edge. I'm out. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. So from here, I have, this is kind of my last note I wrote down to kind of come up with something for this topic was taking that and going from okay so now as a dm you are giving your players you know monster fights and you're 
letting them use the knowledge they have um, available to them if they can. Um, you're giving monsters weaknesses of some sort, something to, something to that the players players can utilize to better help them win the fight. And now, this is where I think it can get really fun, and obviously you don't want to do this for every fight, but taking all of those things and then switching them around. Making it so that way the meta-knowledge or the knowledge the players have works against them. And then making it so the weakness they thought these things had isn't working, and now they have to figure it out. And I think that's kind of a twofer of that or a two-part a parter of that you have at first your players are knowing these things they're able to take them out they're making the fights more interesting more tactical and then you have the moment where all of a sudden hey uh to go back to trolls maybe your party is like being described this troll and it's like yeah this is a weird troll like many people have gone over to try and destroy it but they just have never come back and you know your party goes out to find this troll and they find huge you know footprints in the murky swamp and these are much bigger than what a troll would normally have and when your party finally stumbles across the troll it turns out it, you, you're look they're looking at it and it's like is that even a troll? Because, like, it's weird. It has, like, weird growths all over it. It has, like, an extra arm that's just, like, not usable. It has, like, three eyes, you know? And then all of a sudden, you can start, you know, letting your party know, like, hey, roll me a nature check on our client check or whatever the equivalent would be for a different RPG system. And it becomes a thing of, like, yeah... This troll is really, really, like, juiced up. Mm. Like, it's regenerative, uh, regenerative, blah, 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 blah. regenerative uh, process is, like, freaking Wolverine levels. It's like, a, it's a teratoma this, troll. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just, like, this thing will regrow things it doesn't even need. Like, right. It probably has, like, 12 <laughs> redundant livers, you know? <laughs> absolutely so, yeah the idea of like okay fire and acid might slow it down maybe a little but it's not gonna completely negate that healing factor or maybe it doesn't stop it at all and it's like oh damn maybe okay, it only so spurns additional growth to compensate for the dam the damage it's taking right more similar to a hydra you know in, in that sense, like, oh, you can't just chop its heads off and be done with it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> so that idea of allowing for weaknesses to be advant uh, taken advantage of and then using that to then make a interesting monster fight later down the road even more interesting because it's like all of a sudden, oh, shit, we can't use the weaknesses we've been using. Oh, so absolutely. Because fuck, do we do this? And what and what you've done is you you set an expectation and then you and you completely break it or you twist it, you know. And that's that's sort of where I was talking about when when I'm you know like because that is a great way is to create a legendary version of something or just an alternate version that that is it is so similar. It's it's you know right on the uncanny divide that, that we think we can handle it and suddenly 
that horror element is brought back in again. You know, we brought all these potions of fire breathing and torches and, you know, kegs of acid. We've made a, a, a device that spews it in, in a great cone. Not if it's working, what do we do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the plan goes exactly. to shit, you know? So, the, and, and one way that I, I sort of, uh, I, I thought about that I had done that, um, again, go back to your, to the Hunter campaign, is um, uh, it, it was when you first encountered a, quote, in, incorporeal undead spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, like in in 5e the, the they basically can just pass through walls you know there's no special rules for incorporeal monsters however in pathfinder there absolutely is the special uh, attribute of incorporeal which it takes only half damage from corporeal sources and it's has touch ac attacks so your armor bonus doesn't matter and all this kind of stuff and you started to, re you know, like, you're like, oh, wait, this doesn't work. This isn't, this isn't your average wraith. <laughs> this is different, you know. And that's what I like to do is, is bring in an element or a monster or modify uh, an ex a known monster in just some, some little way. Because uh, you, you nailed it, that you want to... You want to create the ability to defeat the things and use their knowledge and discovery and all this stuff but um but yeah be able to to twist it on them when you need to right you know creates for an event in interesting encounters and yeah exactly that and i think so so far we've talked about things like how to make your monster uh fights better by first of all uh, adding weaknesses to all your beasts, um, also by letting your players use their meta knowledge or just knowledge in general. And then kind of the third tool that I thought about was also the idea of using your players' meta knowledge against them, kind of. And this is something you did with one of the kind of to talk about the Monster Hunter campaign that you ran where um, at one point was I, you know, go into this town and there's been a string of, uh, of people being turned to stone. And it's like, okay, there's only a few monsters that can do this. So I guess I just got to go around and figure out what exactly this thing is. And so, you know, I go around, I talk to people, I, there's a bunch of things going on. You know, there's people talking about, you know, caw crowing, you know, a rooster call. And it's like, okay, well, it's not Demigorgon. So maybe it's, maybe it's like a uh, cockatrice or something, like something big. And, you know, there's a talk about, you know, big stuff happening on the outskirts of town and all this, all these things. And it was like, okay, maybe. Maybe it's a cockatrice. And then finally, there's that one little piece of information you find right before you get there where it's like, okay, no, these aren't cockatrices. These are like, I forget what what you called them, but they're like just small little like itty bitty like roosters basically that have the same ability of turning people into stone. Well, we'll but, see that when that, you know, what that was, was that I think you were relying on the lore of a cockatrice from other works like the witcher and stuff right yeah they're large fly they're more like a drake almost you know 
Uh, but yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> in your mind, you were like looking for these these big things. Like, oh, they're just chickens. Oh, they're not just yeah, chickens. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just uh, they're just small little chickens, and it's like, oh, well, that's definitely a turnaround. And then all of a sudden, it becomes not a fight against you know one thing. It becomes a fight against like. 20 of these little things and yeah, it's like that, oh was shit was that better well. <laughs> <laughs> was that better probably not but you know we still right. i still yeah, made cause it you, alive, you, so you did some great planning uh you i think what did you you brought some other chickens out to because you, you learned that they hate regular chickens like they they will go into a rage and destroy them so you brought three or four of them and set them out as like a diversion to pull them out of their their roost i think something like that <laughs> yeah basically it was the idea that it was um you i set an, i set them up as little landmines between me and the rest of the cockatrices or or whatever they're called and um it was like whenever they would come out of their little hole they would see one of them and go immediately either crazy or go after me and so like I was basically hoping at least half of them would go after the right. roosters for a bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, that's about everything I had on the subject. I don't know, Josh, if you have any uh, outstanding little nuggets of uh, inspiration you'd like to use. Before no, we, I mean, uh, other than out. what we talked about, I think sometimes just um, using, using some tactics by the monsters other than just, just swinging. Uh, I think you may know. Recently, we we played where I was like, oh, you know what? The monster's just gonna push you off the cliff. <laughs> but oh, yes, yeah. get, uh, <laughs> get, getting outside of the box, outside of the stat block, as it were. Oh yeah, so getting outside of the stat block is definitely something that uh, I, I think every DM kind of needs to learn to or at least entertain. Do, it, yeah, is that entertain it? Yeah, is it, it, you know, obviously. The stat block is very powerful, but sometimes there's some really powerful tools just sitting right outside that stat block, you know, if you just are willing to look for them. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I believe that is all, folks. Um, We hope you gain some uh, nice information and inspiration from this. We're glad you joined us, and... We look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue down this road of just having fun and talking fun stuff in TTRPGs. So thank you again, and uh, hope to see you next week. Later. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly... To my surprise, he did the monster man.